like that tonight if you fall asleep. But uh, thank the Lord for rest and a great day in the house of the Lord. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 4 tonight. Uh, a great chapter, a powerful chapter, a lot of information in just 11 verses. I'm going to try to get to as much as I can tonight. Uh, but before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing on our time of Bible study. Lord, I want to thank you tonight for this honor that we have to be a part of this service. As we've just said, there's churches here in the United States that still cannot meet. And Lord, there's churches that uh, can't even have outdoor services, much less indoor services. And around the world, our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that are uh, in other countries, many of them are not able to meet. And Father, we, we want to pray for them. We want to lift them up. But we're also thankful and grateful that we have these restrictions lifted enough for us to come in here and worship you tonight. We still pray for your protection. We still pray for help and for, Lord Jesus, to keep these viruses and things away from us more, to keep us in good health and uh, just bless us as you promised to do in your word. Father, we lift up our membership tonight, those that are here, those that are watching online, and uh, any other needs, Father, that might be present, we just turn over to you. And Lord, I just pray again tonight that you would use me, Father, for your glory. I know and I understand that I am nothing, and I know nothing apart from you. So, Lord, just speak to me the words that you'd have me to speak to others, that they might be blessed from your word. And, Lord, may you just encourage us in your word. May you bless us from studying it. Father, may you use it, Lord, to be a, a source of encouragement to all of us that are saved tonight to know that it won't be long before Jesus comes back again. We ask all these things tonight in your name. Amen. We look in chapter number four of Revelation. I'm going to read all 11 verses, and we're going to go back and make some references to these verses. But in verse number one, and then I, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow around, round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty elders, or four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning uh, before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. The four beasts had each of them six wings round about, uh, about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Boy, a powerful chapter as we've gone on. Uh, chapter number one, kind of an introduction to Revelation. Chapter two and three, you're dealing with the seven churches. And then all of a sudden, there is a transition. There's a change. 
And now we're in a second part of the book of Revelation. And that second part begins with heaven opening up. And here we see in verse number one, and after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me which said, come up hither and I'll show you the things which must be hereafter. Uh, we need to understand tonight that there are three heavens mentioned in scripture. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse one through uh, four talks about three heavens. Now, you hear people talk about seven heavens. There's not seven heavens, uh, and cloud nine and all of that. There's only three heavens. Now, to understand how that works, though, tonight, you need to understand that the three heavens are not three separate dwelling places of God, per se. It's not the throne of God or three levels of what we think of heaven or the New Jerusalem. Uh, but the air, the atmosphere... Where we, where we breathe and where birds fly, where planes fly, would be the first heaven. Uh, the second heaven, heaven would be outer space. And outer space, uh, the further they're looking in outer space, the telescopes and the technology they have today, the more vast they realize space truly is. Uh, we look at the sun in our solar system and realize that the sun, According to science, anyway, is a small star compared to the stars that are out there. In fact, you can take several hundred of our, of our suns and put in some of the average-sized stars that are out there. To put that in perspective, you need to understand that our suns, you can take all the, the planets of our solar system and put it inside the sun and have tons of room left over. I mean, that's kind of mind-boggling to think. Somebody put it like this. Earth is the size of the head of a little sick pen. A little sick pen. Uh, you know, there's a question people say, how many angels can stand the head of a pen? I don't know who came up with that crazy question. The answer is none. There's no angels that are microscopic. But anyway, uh, that little pen, you take the head of that pen and put it next to a basketball, a regulation-sized basketball. That would be the size of the earth compared to our sun. Think about that compared to suns that are larger than our sun, and it really just blows our mind. We cannot comprehend how huge, how vast space truly really is. So you have the first heaven is the air or atmosphere, the second is space, and the third would be the throne of God. Now, if you doubt this, look at what Paul said there in 2 Corinthians. Turn back there to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. This is something that is repeated Throughout the Bible, in many places, uh, the Bible will speak about three heavens. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 1 uh, and through verse 4, Paul speaking about his experience, his revelation that he received from the Lord of being there in the presence of heaven. He says in verse number 1, it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, he's speaking of himself. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth such a one caught up to the third heaven. Verse 3, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up unto paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. Uh, he speaks about we're a triune being, a body, a soul, and a spirit. And he said, I can't prove to you or tell you whether it was... In my body or whether I was transported out of my body, I just know what happened. 
And he said, I received these revelations of the Lord. And he said, I was caught up to the third heaven. That would be the throne of God. And he said, there at the throne of God is where he saw and heard things that he, he couldn't write about. He couldn't explain to us tonight if he wanted to. The only way you can fully understand is to be there. To experience it for yourself. And Paul got to see that and experience that. And so uh, he writes about that in his writing. That revelation that he received a special revelation. As an apostle chosen of the Gentiles born out of the season and given the mysteries that uh, we're a part of as part of the church tonight. Uh, but for example, Deuteronomy 10.14. Deuteronomy 10.14 speaks about heaven and the heaven of heavens. Those are three. Heaven, one. Heavens, plural, two. Of heavens, three. Uh, Deuteronomy 10.14. First Kings, I believe, 8 verse 27. Uh, speaks about the heaven and heaven of heavens. Uh, 2 Chronicles 2, verse 6, the heaven and the heaven of heavens. Psalms 115, verse 16, the heaven and the heaven of heavens. Nehemiah 9, 6, the heaven and the heaven of heavens. That's three heavens. There's not seven, there's three. So John went from being on the earth, there breathing out air in the first heaven, to transport it all the way through space to the throne of God. And NASA bragged about traveling at the speed of light or something like that, if they could ever get to that point. Right now it's the speed of sound, breaking the sound barrier, but uh, the goal is the speed of light. That's slow compared to God transporting you here and in the presence of the Lord instantaneously. In a moment, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be absent from our body and present with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what a thought that is. Uh, he's immediately transported to heaven to see the vision of what he's about to see. Uh, chapter 4, chapter 3, I should say, concluded with the church of the Laodiceans. Uh, that church was a church that was lukewarm. God had nothing really positive to say about it. Uh, other churches went through periods of persecution. The church of the Laodiceans is not suffering from persecution. Uh, that's not killing the church of the Laodiceans. Persecution is not. Prosperity is what's killing the church of the Laodiceans. It's just like America tonight. What is killing the churches in America is not, is not persecution. We're not being persecuted for our faith. I, I know we're not popular. You're never going to be popular as a Christian, by the way. And I know we're not accepted, and the world's never going to accept you. If you're a true Bible-believing Christian, you've got to accept that. They're never going to accept you. And the longer the Lord tarries, the more that's going to be true. But it's not persecution that we're suffering from. It's prosperity. We have Everything we need except what we need most, and that's the things of God, that's the Spirit of God, and, and living for God. Those churches, the seven of them, they end. And at the end of those church ages that are there, all of a sudden the word church disappears in chapter 3, verse 22, and is not mentioned again from chapter 4 to chapter 21 of Revelation. There's only 22 chapters in Revelation. So the church disappears. From chapter 4 to chapter 21, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as being in the midst of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. We read that phrase over and over again, in the midst of the church. So if the Holy Spirit's in the midst of the churches, and the churches are no longer here, so, and we find later in Revelation 4 verse 5, the Spirit is found up in heaven, and the logical conclusion is that the church has changed position from being on this earth, to being in the presence of the Lord, just like John. The church has been translated and, and transported from earth 
to the third heaven, to the throne of God, to the presence of the Lord. As we were talking about the Antichrist and all of that, uh, uh, the signs of the times. I, I talk about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 that speaks about only now he left, uh, that left till he be taken out of the way. And most people understand that the meaning of the church and the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way. And then the son of perdition, then the man of sin, then that wicked one's going to be revealed. So the indication throughout Scripture is that the church is here, but eventually the church is not going to be here. The church is going to be called out. It's going to be raptured out. And the picture of that is found in chapter 4, verse number 1, and verse number 2, where he hears the sound of the trumpet, he hears the voice that says, Come up hither, and there he is literally raptured out. He's transported out, and heaven opens up at this point, and he's in the presence of the Lord. Heaven only opens twice in Revelation. It opens up uh, in chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. There's a door that opens, and heaven opens there. And then in chapter 19, verse 11. Uh, here in chapter 4, heaven opens, somebody goes up. We know that to be John. Revelation 19, 11, heaven opens up, and somebody comes down. We know that to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes down and we come with him. The saints follow him and come with him according to Revelation 19. And also notice that when the door is open, there's a voice and a trumpet. And that coincides with other passages connected with the translation of the church. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the great passage that... Is a parallel passage with 1 Corinthians 15, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 says this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, talking about death, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are is asleep, pre, prevent, pre means before, event means event. So we're not going to, nothing's going to change us before the event. They're going to be translated. We're going to be translated. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a what? A shout? With the what? Voice of the archangel and with the what? The trump, the Bible says, of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord of the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, several passages support the same idea. There is a voice. There is a, a trumpet. There is a, a, a message, a sound, something that, that calls John out, something that calls the church out. Someone said, well, what is the Lord going to say when the church is called out? What is the voice going to say? I've heard all kinds of ideas. I've heard people say, he's going to call your name. Wouldn't that be something he calls your name? Uh, I've heard someone say, he's going to say, ready or not, here I come. <laughs> that might be it. Uh, but more than likely, he's going to say, come up hither. Because that's the phrase we keep seeing over and over again, come up hither. Uh, and uh, we see that in Revelation 4.1. We see that in Revelation 11.12. We see that in Proverbs 25, verse 7, come up hither, come up hither, come up hither. Over in Songs of Solomon is a beautiful picture of the rapture of the church. And there we see that the, uh, in Songs of Solomon, he says, come away, my love, my fair one. 
Uh, maybe that's what he's going to tell us. Come away. Come away. Get out from this world. Come unto me. Uh, we don't know exactly what he's going to say, but we know we're going to hear the voice of God. And the voice is going to make a command for us to be absent from our body and present with the Lord, just like the voice that called John to be in the presence of the Lord in chapter 4, verse 1 and chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, he says that he's in the spirit. That matches Revelation 1.10. That matches 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49 through 52. Uh, and that, that's a special experience. We all have the Holy Spirit tonight. Don't let anybody deceive you to thinking that the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace or a second achievement. Or you, you've got to uh, earn the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have all the Holy Spirit there is to have if you're a believer tonight. The Bible says if you have not the Spirit of God, you are none of His. So you can't have the Spirit and, and, uh, and be lost or not have the Spirit and be saved. You have all the Spirit. The question is always not do you have all the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you that He can have? But we, we know that He's in the Spirit. That's a special revelation. That's a special event. A special experience. It's, it's miraculous. It's remarkable. It's a, a transformation. And thank God He gives us little moments where we feel the Spirit moving in a powerful way. And there's a difference in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I believe, in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we're to walk in the Spirit, not quench the Spirit, many other things that are there. But once this takes place, we're going to be in the Spirit, no longer in the flesh, no longer in the body. As, John, as Paul said, we're going to be in the Spirit, and we're going to be transported from this world and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So John is a picture of that. John becomes a type of the church. John is a type of the church in many ways. Go back to chapter 21 of the book of John. John chapter 21, the last chapter of John. And verse 21, John 21, 21. I'll back up to verse number 20, actually. Then Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's an important phrase. Because Jesus had just got done telling in verse 18 and 19 what's going to happen to Simon Peter in his old age and all of that. So verse number 20, then Peter turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper. That's important tonight. And said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Uh, uh, remember that at the Last Supper, he's the one that said that. Verse 21, Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? That's human nature. Our kids do it all the time. You tell one to pick up this, they say, well, what, what, about, what about her? What is she going to do? Human nature is that way. God says, well, you do this, or you do that. And we say, well, what about him? What about her? Well, that's what Peter was doing. He turns around and he looks at John and he says, well, what about him? And here's what Jesus said in verse 22. Jesus says unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? That is, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. We skip ahead quite a few years till John is on the Isle of Patmos. We read about that in chapter 1 of Revelation. He's on the Isle of Patmos there as a prisoner for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
He's now seen the revelation unfold before his very eyes. And so he, he admits that, the, that it wasn't Jesus was saying that, I, that John wasn't going to die. Is that he's going to live long enough to see the coming of the Lord, which he did see in the revelation. The revelation is given to him. So he fulfills that and he becomes a type and a picture of the New Testament church. If there's any doubt as to whether or not Revelation 4 verse 1 through 2 is a picture of the rapture of the church, observe that John, who writes here of himself and his own experience, turns out to be a type of the body of Christ, you and I tonight that are saved. If there's any doubt in our minds, notice the following references in the Word of God. First of all, Ephesians 5. The Lord Jesus Christ's body, the church, bears the same relationship to Him that a wife bears to her husband. Notice further that the original relationship of a wife to her husband is the relationship of Eve to Adam in Genesis chapter number 2. Therefore, Eve and a man's wife stand in relationship to their husband as the body of Christ to the church stands in relation to Jesus Christ. The picture is always there. If you read Ephesians 5, you can't deny this typology in this picture that Jesus paints uh, as Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. And we need to grasp this truth for several reasons. When Adam saved his wife, he had to die to save her. That's how Eve came about. Uh, God caused a great sleep to fall upon, uh, upon Adam, and God opened up his side. And so Adam had to, to die to, to save his wife, even in the sin that he ate of the fruit of that tree that he knew would bring certain death. He died to save her. The Bible says Adam was not the seed, but Eve. So Adam knew exactly what he was doing. So he willingly ate of the fruit in order to be with Eve. He did it to save his wife. Christ had to die to save the church. Adam's wife was part of his body. Jesus Christ's wife, you and I that are saved, is part of his body. He says we are tonight, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, Ephesians 5, 28 and 33. Adam's bride was taken from below his heart, from his rib. Adam's bride was taken there, and Jesus Christ on the cross, remember, his side was pierced. And there in that, uh, that, uh, that sack around the heart was opened up. His heart was literally pierced and outflowed blood and water. It's a picture of Adam as his side was opened up for Eve. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, his side being opened up tonight. For you and I that are part of the church. Ephesians 5.25 says Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He said, I, no man take it my life. I lay it down freely. I've always heard a woman wants a man to love her enough to die for her. Well, Jesus Christ loved the church enough to die for us. He wasn't just, uh, uh, you know, his life taken. He freely allowed his life to be taken in order to bring about the bride of Christ. You and I are saved tonight. Now, all of these things point indirectly to John. The Lord Jesus Christ loved John in a special way that he didn't love everyone else. And John knew it. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world. God loves the world tonight. Don't make any mistake about that. We understand that. But he loves the church and gave himself for the church in a special kind of love. The same is true of John. Although Jesus loved all the disciples, he loved them in John 13, the Bible says, unto the end. Yet John is singled out in a special way. 
John 21, 20, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He refers to himself in that way over and over again. The disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. John is the one lying right next to the Lord's side, next to his heart. There in the upper room. When he is uh, betrayed by, uh, by Judas and denied by Peter shortly thereafter. There's one disciple that has his ear and his head next to the, the chest and the heart of Jesus Christ. And it's the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John. So to repeat tonight, John is loved in a special way and knows it. As the church is loved in a special way from the world. And we ought to know that tonight. And thank God he loves us in that special way. John is lying at the Lord's Supper right where the church is going to come from. The heart of Jesus Christ. That is in all the statements that we read about the, the future of John. Which clearly indicates that he's a type of the church. In John 21, 21 to 24. Where he said, I would that he tarries till I come. The church is going to tarry till Jesus comes back again. Sure, by death we can be in the presence of the Lord. But there's going to be a special a, a revelation to those, a special transformation. To those that are saved and alive when Jesus comes back again. And that's at that moment, in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, where they'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. John becomes plainly a type of the body of Christ and he writes... Three primary writings. He writes the Gospel of John. He writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he writes Revelation. Each of those three writings are geared towards the body of Christ. John's written to those that would believe. To those that would be saved. These things are written to you. To believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have everlasting life. Uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is written for us that are saved now. It deals with our actions and our attitudes and our behavior. That's where it talks about you can't say you love God and hate your brother. That's not written so much to the world. It's written to the church, the believer, brethren. That's where he tells us to, to make sure we, we love God and we can know that we're saved. And all those things in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and so much more, more. And then revelation is given to us so we know what's going to happen to us in the future. After we're saved and we've been walking with the Lord. So again, we go back to Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, where he says, Come up hither. As I said, that expression is found in Revelation 4 1, Revelation 11 12, which we'll get to later, and Proverbs 25, verse 7, three times in the Bible. Now, there's three raptures in the Bible that are clearly mentioned. One is the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints, can't write and talk at the same time. The Old Testament saints are raptured in the New Testament at the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 27. In verse number 50 to 54. You know, we overlook this every Easter, by the way. I don't know why we do. But uh, there's a resurrection of Old Testament saints. When Jesus got up from the grave, and the Bible says many of the, the graves of the saints uh, uh, were open, and they walked down the streets of Jerusalem, and they appeared unto many. Well, that's a picture of the night of the living dead. I mean, everybody's watching all the zombie stuff. Just read your Bible. They're, they've got nothing on the Bible. Uh, you know, uh, all these zombie movies that are out there and uh, trying to survive. Uh, you know, that's kind of the way I guess it would have appeared. 
lot of people as graves opening up. Can you imagine right now? I don't know where the nearest cemetery is or our church, but imagine right now, all of a sudden, you feel the earthquake. And you hear a little noise, maybe a loud noise. And people out there walking around, and all of a sudden, the graves open up, and people come up out of them, and they start walking around and knocking on people's doors and going back to their families. And, uh, you think that caused a little stir in the community? Well, it certainly did then. This is also mentioned, which I'm not going to take time to get into that tonight, in Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse 8 through 12. And it's a controversial passage because Paul says in Ephesians 4, 8 through 12, that when Jesus died, those three days that he was buried, what happened to him? What was he doing? Well, he wasn't sleeping in the grave. It's not soul sleep. He's busy. And Ephesians 4, verse 8 and 12 gives you a clue as to what he was doing in those days. How he went and got the keys of hell and death. How he went and preached those spirits that were in prison. And so much more that deals with the resurrection of the Old Testament saints that are there. The second resurrection, or the second uh, rapture that we, we all know about, is the church age saints. And that's the one that we've been talking about so much here lately. And y'all all know the passage by heart now, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 at the end of the chapter, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I single these out because these are the primary chapters that really teach this truth, although the truth is taught in many, many passages in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 49 through verse 53 deals with the rapture. That's what we're waiting on tonight. That's you and I that are saved. It can happen at any moment. I'm waiting to hear the trumpet sound right now. I personally believe there's nothing left for this event to happen except the Lord and His timing. The fullness of the time has to come in, and then the Lord's coming back again. And then, of course, there's a third rapture that's mentioned of tribulation saints. The tribulation saints, they're during the tribulation period, and, uh, and it takes place kind of in the mid to the end of the tribulation. And it deals with uh, Matthew chapter 24. Speaks about some of this. And Revelation 11. Remember the two witnesses that are there? Uh, by the way, there's three parts of the harvest mentioned in the Bible. And the three parts of the harvest are clearly defined as the first fruits, then the harvest, and then the gleaning. The coming of the Lord is said to mimic or picture a harvest. One time Jesus said that. He said, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. And he sent forth laborers into the harvest. He said the fields are white, ready to, to, to harvest, except but the laborers are few. He talks about a time when an angel is going to cast in a sickle to the earth and gather the wheat from the tares. And there's going to be a harvest. Well, each part of these raptures matches those three phases of harvest. The first fruits of the Old Testament saints. Jesus is said to be the first fruit of the resurrection. He's the first. Yes, there's people resurrected before, but guess what happened to those people that were resurrected before Jesus? They died again. There's a couple of Old Testament that were resurrected. They died again. In the Gospels, you've got three that Jesus resurrected. You've got the widow of Nain's son. You've got the centurion's daughter. You've got Lazarus. Three different ages, by the way. A young girl. Uh, uh, the centurion's daughter. Then you've got the widow of Nain's son, a little bit older. 
And then you've got Lazarus that's older still. And each of those three resurrections typify to us the three stages of folks coming to Jesus Christ. Because it's a spiritual resurrection that takes place when we're saved. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so a child can get saved. Uh, an older person, a little bit middle-aged can get saved. And somebody even older than that can get saved. Can be resurrected. And so it's a picture of those but those people died again. Lazarus died again. The widow's name, son, died again. The centurion's daughter died again. But Jesus, when he got up from the grave, never dies again. And those that resurrect with him will never die again. So that's the first fruits. Then you have the actual harvest. The harvest is what the Lord's working on right now. That's the gospel going out to all the world. That's souls getting saved. It's called uh, sowing seed. The sower go forth to sow. Jesus gave the parable. He said some seed fell upon good ground. Some seed fell upon stony ground. All those different things that can happen. And witnessing and sharing the gospel. And he, he defines that parable by saying the sower. Uh, he, he said the seed is the word of God. And he said Satan cometh away to take away the word of God. From the seed that is sown from their heart. But there's coming a great harvest. But then there's going to be gleanings at the very end. There'll still be those that are left over. That's just like if you've got vegetables growing in your garden. That first uh, vegetable that's ripe, that's the first fruits. Then when everything kind of gets ready to be harvested, that's the harvest. But then you've got the gleanings, which is at the very end. Chapter 4, verse 3. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. You can look those stones up. They still exist. A jasper stone is kind of reddish. A sardine stone is also kind of reddish. Uh, and, uh, and, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. If you were to look at the throne of God tonight, like John did, and there's other passages uh, uh, mentioned in, in, uh, in the Old Testament where there's visions of the throne of God. Around his throne is a rainbow, but the rainbow is an emerald, emerald color. All the story of the Wizard of Oz is based on scriptural ideas and then, of course, the times of uh, the Great Depression and all of that back in those days. But the Yellow Brick Road and the Emerald City and all those things uh, and uh, the Emperor and all of that kind of stuff. But there in heaven is the throne of God and there's an emerald green rainbow around about the throne. And the Bible gives a description of what God looks like, what the Lord looks like. And, of course... That gets into a whole other thing, that's a whole other subject I can't take time to get into tonight. But, uh, but there is descriptions of the Lord, and it says that he looks like Jasper and Sardin. He's reddish. Uh, we read about it in Revelation chapter number 1, when John sees the Lord walking in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. He said his feet look like fine brass as if they burn in a furnace. The feet of the Lord that John sees... Looks like brass that has been on fire and is still glowing. That glowing brass color is the color of what the Lord looks like there. And he said there there was a, a rainbow round about the throne in sight like a moon emerald. Verse 4, round about the throne were four and twenty seats and upon the seats. I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Uh, these 24 elders, and I've read all kinds of commentaries and heard preachers and teachers talk about it for years, 
are almost impossible to identify. We don't know exactly who the 24 are. And so the, the common idea is that it represents the Old Testament, the 12 patriarchs, or the 12 tribes of Israel. We don't know this to be so. I can't promise you that this is so. It's just, it does make sense. 12 of the 24, because 24 is 2 times 12, 12 would be the 12 tribes of Israel. And of course, the other 12 would be the apostles of the Lamb. There's 12 apostles mentioned in the Bible particularly. There's others that were called apostles, but there's 12 original apostles out of there. Mine is Judas. Judas is replaced in Acts by, men, by the name of Matthias or Matthias, however you want to pronounce his name. Uh, we see later on that there are 12 gates in the New Jerusalem. And every gate is named after one of the tribes of Israel. But there's also 12 foundations of precious stones. And the 12 foundations of precious stones represent the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you've got 12 tribes of Israel. You've got 12 apostles that are certainly mentioned there in the New Jerusalem. So it could be, and again, we don't know. Nobody knows. I've never heard anything that can prove anything. Who these 12 are, but they're almost... Uh, certainly going to be the 12 patriarchs and 12 apostles. Uh, that 12 is a Jewish number and it's important in the Bible and it's just that Jewish number double. Uh, in chapter 5 though, that those 24 are mentioned again and it says there that they are redeemed by His blood. So that's the only thing that we call the question of the 12 tribes because that's Old Testament, not New Testament. So we don't know, but we know that there's 24 that are mentioned there. And then in verse number 5, in verse number 6, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, around about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Uh, the seven spirits, if you take time and write down Zechariah 4 verse 10, Zechariah 4 verse 10 talks about seven eyes of the Lord that are in the earth uh, and they're beholding everything. The Bible says there's nothing hid in the eyes of God. God sees it all. Nothing hid in darkness, nothing in secret. You can't hide from God. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve, they hid there and God says, where are you, Adam? That's a rhetorical question. He knew exactly where Adam was. But he's saying, where are you? Because they were trying to hide. You can't hide from God. I don't care how dark a bar is. You're not going to keep God from seeing in there. doesn't matter how private you think you're seeing something or saying something or doing something. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run throughout the whole earth, beholding uh, the evil and the good. So Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 talks about those seven eyes. And Isaiah 11, 1 through 3 talks about seven spirits of God that are in there. Seven spirits. And those seven spirits are represented there in Isaiah 11. And and uh, these beasts are literally found in Ezekiel 1 and 10 when it talks about the beasts that are here that John sees. Uh, Ezekiel 28 verse 14, for example, says that there was five of these creatures. They're called cherub. Look in verse 7 and 8. And the first beast was like a lion. The second beast like a calf. And the third beast had the face as of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which is 
and was and is, uh, which was and is and is to come. Um, real quickly, turn back to Ezekiel chapter number one. I'm trying to keep an eye on my time tonight. But look at Ezekiel chapter number one. Ezekiel gets a vision of these creatures. They are mentioned in Ezekiel and in Revelation. Now, before I say anything else, let me, let me make a statement. Uh, angels are mentioned in the Bible. Cherubim, cherubs are mentioned in the Bible. They're not making little babies that go around with wings and a little bow and arrow and shoot you at Valentine's Day. Uh, angels are mentioned in the Bible. Cherub, or cherubim are mentioned in the Bible. And seraphim are mentioned in the Bible. They're not the same thing. They are distinct, separate creations of God for distinct, separate purposes around the throne of God and throughout God's purpose and plan. Uh, angels are an innumerable company. The Bible says that the, that the angels cannot be numbered and that man is made a little lower than the angels, Psalms tells us in Psalms chapter number 8. Uh, anytime an angel appears in the Bible, I'm going to hurt some of y'all's feelings tonight. But angels in the Bible are never said to have wings. You cannot find a winged angel in the Bible. Now everybody draws them and paints them with wings. And you say this and people gasp. And they say, how can a creature? It's because it ain't in there. There's no angel with wings in the Bible. Every time angels appear in the Bible, they appear as young men. Uh, there's no female angels mentioned in the Bible either, by the way. And uh, so sorry, lady, but I don't know. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't throw a hymn book up at here, up at here, or anything like that. But you don't find a female angel mentioned, and you don't find they always appear as a male. They always appear as a young man, and uh, they never have wings. Uh, but now seraphim and cherubim do have wings, but they don't have two wings. They have multiple wings. Uh, we read about angels here that have six wings. Uh, we read about angels in another place that have more than that. Uh, and they have uh, wings that are full of eyes inside their wings and outside their wings and things of that nature. Uh, in the Bible, you have angels that have names, but the only names that are given to us in the Bible are, are, are uh, Michael the archangel. Michael, archangel means over the angels. He's like, he's like a general of the angels. He's like the four-star general of all the hosts of the angels is Michael. Uh, you also have Gabriel, who's a named angel in the Bible. We know the story of Gabriel there in the book of Daniel. And of course, at the birth of Jesus Christ, Gabriel is the one that God sends to appear to Mary and Joseph and tell them God's plan to bring forth the Messiah, that she would bring forth the Son and call his name Jesus and save his people from their sins. That was Gabriel. But all the other names you read about, about angels, that's just myth, that's just folklore, that's just legend. There are no other names of angels mentioned in the Bible. Lucifer is another supernatural creature uh, mentioned in the Bible with a name, but Lucifer is not an angel. He is an anointed cherub in Ezekiel 28. There are four cherubs mentioned here in Revelation, but there were five original ones that were there. He was the fifth. He was not an angel. People say, well, the devil was an angel. The devil was an angel before he fell. The devil was not an angel. You cannot find a single verse that says the devil was an angel before he fell. The Bible says he was a cherub before he fell. And cherub and angels are not the same. Now, Corinthians tells us that, that, uh, that Satan now, in his present state, can transform himself into an angel of light. He can transform himself to appear as an angel of light. But he is not an angel of light any longer. He is 
uh, 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 full of darkness. He is darkness. He can transform in that way, but he is not an angel. In fact, in his present state, his fallen state, he is now a dragon. We'll get to in Revelation as well. Some of y'all look at me when I tell you this stuff like you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, look it up. I'm just telling you what it says tonight. I'm just a messenger. Don't get mad at me. Uh, but in Ezekiel chapter number 1, verse number 5, look at verse 5. And also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. So that tells us that their bodily shape would be like the shape of a human being, like the shape of, of a man, like mankind. They, so if you looked at the main part of them, it's shaped like a man. All four had the shape of a man, the likeness of a man. And every one had four faces. So here's a creature that's shaped like a human being, but has four faces instead of one face. And every one four wings. Not two wings, four. And their feet were straight feet. The sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. So their, their, their legs look like human legs, but you get down to the feet, but now their feet changes. The shape of their feet isn't like a human foot. It's like a calf's foot, like a split foot, a split hook. And they sparkle like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings, on their four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not whether they went. And uh, they went everyone straight forward. And as for the likeness of their faces, the four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces and their wings were stretched toward uh, upward toward two wings of everyone were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies, and they went everyone straight forward. Whether the spirit was to go, they went, they turned out whether they went. And as for their likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. And I, as I beheld the living creatures, behold, the will was one will was upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. And I'm not going to read the whole description to you tonight for time's sake. But it sounds like something out of science fiction. Science fiction tonight has nothing on the Bible. Science fiction, uh, science fiction is trying to interest people outside of Scripture. You want to see something that will just blow your mind tonight, read Ezekiel. Read Revelation. You ain't got to waste your time with the walking dead or something like that. Read Revelation. Now, either you can choose to believe what the Bible says or choose to deny it. I choose to believe that if God says he made these creatures, this is exactly what they look like. Now, people today, we're so narrow-minded. People say, well, I don't think that this could exist or that could exist. You know they're still finding things down in the ocean that they never knew was down there. The deeper they can take those submersibles and those submarines down there to, to the, the darkest trenches of the ocean, creatures they're finding down there that just absolutely blows our mind and boggles our imagination. And you know, God designed every single one of them. You ever look at some insects or something and think, God made that. He designed that. It looks crazy and freakish to us, but God designed that. He, he, he wanted that to look that way. 
And so in heaven there is creatures that would scare you to death without a spiritual protection like John had and like Ezekiel had and like Paul had to see these things. No wonder Paul says, I saw things that was unlawful for a man to utter. You wouldn't believe them if he told you. I'm reading passage tonight that God does tell us and people still don't believe it. Can you imagine if John or Paul told you what they really saw that was there? They certainly didn't wouldn't believe it. That's why Jesus made that same statement. And he said, I told you of earthly things and you believe me not. He said, you think you'll believe me if I tell you heavenly things? So here, this passage in Ezekiel matches and parallels Revelation chapter 4. Now let me wrap this part up while I have to finish the rest of the chapter Wednesday night. Um, in Ezekiel, these creatures are said to be a wheel within a wheel. They're carrying the throne of God around. Now again, that is... When I read these passages, it's just, I'm in awe that God's throne can be carried in this way. Now, why did God choose to, to use these creatures to carry his throne? I cannot tell you. We don't know the mind of God. God doesn't certainly need him to move his throne. He can move without them, but this is how he chooses to use them. You know, a lot of people use this as a proof text for, uh, for uh, spaceships and UFOs and stuff, by the way. You've seen that before? And they'll say that there was a spaceship that Ezekiel saw. And part of it was because of the way it moved. And I, I've seen a lot of depictions of how this thing moves. And somehow it's like a wheel within a wheel. And it's almost like a gyroscope when you read that description. These wheels, it's a wheel inside of the wheel. You know you can't turn this finger and this finger opposite ways at the same time. Y'all know that tonight? This, I'm just throwing this out for a little bit. It doesn't cost anything. I'm just about through Y'all are going to sit there and try this now. You cannot move one finger this way and move the other finger the opposite way at the same time. Uh, but these wheels, within a wheel, one's moving this way, one's moving that. Y'all are I see y'all trying. You don't believe me. You're going to try it. You're trying it right now. Same thing with your feet. You can't, I think, move one foot one way and another foot the other. Anyway. If it's like a gyroscope, and they move like a flash of light. And so we see here these creatures carry the throne of God in Ezekiel. But in Revelation, they're stationary by the throne of God. Now their faces are the face of an ox, of a man, of a lion, and of an eagle. In Ezekiel 10, verse 14, go back there. And I'll wrap it up right here because I really want to spend some, just a, a few minutes talking about these creatures. And I'm afraid I won't do it justice tonight since we're past time. So I'll have to stop here. But Ezekiel 10, verse 14 and everyone had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. That's different. And the second face was the face of a man. And the third, the face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. Now, in this description, it's the same creatures. But he changes the description of one of the creatures. And he leaves out one animal. Did you catch which one it was? In Ezekiel 1... Verse 5 through 7, it's an ox. But here he says the face of a cherub. So somehow or another, a cherub is, is synonymous with an ox. Now for this to really make a lot of sense tonight, you need to understand that for thousands of years, cultures, including Israel, was caught up into worshiping cows, worshiping bulls. Somehow or another, that is connected with Lucifer because he was an anointed cherub that covered. And that's why we see the image 
of Lucifer, when you see the cartoons, that he has calves' feet. You ever see that before? Where does that come from? These cherubs. And why does he have two horns on his head? Where did you ever read a scripture where it says the devil has two horns on his head? You don't read one that says the devil has two horns on his head. In Revelation, that dragon has horns, but this, but you don't see him having a face like, you know, with a goatee and two horns on his head. That's an ox. That's connected with an ox. That's a, a, a bull. You know what Israel did when God got them out of Egypt? They crossed the Red Sea. God's getting ready to give them the Ten Laws, the Ten Commandments. Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the law of God. And for 40 days, 40 nights, he's gone. And he comes back down off the mountain. Joshua must have been somewhere about halfway down below. And he says, I hear the noise of, uh, of, of, of war in the camp. He said, there's a battle. And he said, no, it's not the noise of war. It's the noise of revelry. It's the noise of a party is what we say today. They go down the base of the mountain and, and they look and see the Bible said the people had made themselves naked. They had stripped off their clothes. They're running around naked. They're running around committing adultery. They are sacrificing unto golden calves. A primary calf. But then it says, these be thy gods, plural, O Israel. And they're bowing down and worshiping a golden calf. That sounds interesting. Why a calf? Why not a lamb? Why not a frog? Why not, you know, a, a, a buzzard or a crow or something? Why is it a calf? And you know, later on, Baal worship became a form of worship in the Old Testament that got Israel and the nations in a lot of trouble. And Baal, like I said in the last Bible study, is uh, uh, the word for bull. And when they worship Baal, they worship a bull. When I went to Uruguay on a mission trip there, they took us up the side of the mountain that overlooked the city that we were staying at. A very scenic, very beautiful place to go up to. And we walked up the, the hill and I learned real quickly how old I was getting when I'm trying to climb a mountainside, going up the woods, a wooded area. And you go up to the top of that mountain peak there that overlooks the, 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 the sea and overlooks the harbor and overlooks the, the town and all. And sitting at the very top was this massive, massive statue of a bull. And on that bull was all kinds of offerings that people would make their way up there. And it kind of gave me the creeps to tell you the truth. And I know it's just a thing. That's what Paul said. He said, we know that, that the statues of the idols are nothing. We know that. They're just made with men's hands. But to know that this is something that was supposed to protect their city, was supposed to uh, bring blessing to them, something that they sacrificed to, that they worshiped, they brought gifts to. And you see this massive bull overlooking their city. That was the God of that place where we were. Well, out in, uh, isn't it New York? New York is a giant bull outside of Wall Street. And don't people worship money in America? Amen. A lot of connections. You may not, we may not connect those dots, but I'm telling you, there's more than meets the eye. Uh, we'll get into more about these cherubims. It's very important to understand who they are, identify who they are, what they look like, what they represent, to help us better understand the nature of the devil and the nature of what he's going to do in the rest of Revelation. As chapter 4 continues, we, it tells us that these 24 elders, they are, they're wearing crowns, and they're on those seats around the throne of God.
We can't see them right now tonight. We're down here in Monroe, North Carolina, sitting in a church. We can't see them. But if you could, if God would build back the ceiling tonight, and if we could just gaze up into heaven for just a few moments and see around the throne of God, we'd see the same thing that John sees as he's caught up there. And we'd hear the, the, the shout, like a, sound, a deafening shout of praises, of angels praising God, innumerable company of angels giving glory, angels giving glory to God. And then all the saints that have gone on before us around the throne of God, shouting and praising and singing and glorifying around the throne of God. And then you'd see cherubim around the throne of God saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of thy glory. And we'd see those 24 elders sitting on their thrones and their seats there around the throne of God, wearing their crowns. The Bible says they're going to take their crowns and they're going to cast it at the feet of Jesus Christ. One of these days, folks, one of these days, we're going to get to see it. Won't that be something? We're going to get to see it. And what a day that'll be when we get to see all these things face to face. We'll get back into the last of this chapter and then into chapter number five of our Wednesday night Bible study. I appreciate you being here tonight for our Bible study. I hope I haven't said too much or gone too far that uh, you can't follow along. I'm trying to make as much progress as I can in an hour's time. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for being a part of our worship service tonight. And I uh, look forward to meeting back with you Wednesday night. Go ahead and read Revelation chapter 5 if you haven't done so before we get here on Wednesday night so that you can be a little ahead of the game. And we'll try to make some progress there as well. Anybody have a question about anything I covered tonight? If you have a question, I'll be glad to entertain it. About this, don't ask me where Cain got his wife or something like that. Anything about this? All right. We'll dismiss in prayer. Lord, I thank you tonight for the power of your word. Lord, I feel so inadequate. Lord, as I run through these passages, and Lord, I know that we're, we're concerned about time. And, and Lord, we can't spend all night here as much as... We may want to be spent in your word. But Lord, I pray that as we make some progress and we go verse by verse, the things and the truth that you'd have us to grasp and know, we, we, we get that tonight. And Lord, if nothing else, may we see that uh, down here, Lord, as we hear all the sounds of uh, cars and, and noise and television and just the air pollution around us, and we hear all the, the, the turmoil that's in our, our world around us, may we be reminded that around your throne is nothing but praises. Nothing but glory, nothing but shouting, nothing but giving honor and glory and praise to your name. And one day, the sound of the praise and the glory, uh, the whole earth will hear it. Lord, I pray that in this life, we would do that very thing. May we pray you tonight. And I want to do that with my voice and with my words. May I, may I praise you tonight. Thank you that you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, we're unholy. We're unfit. We're ungodly. But you're holy tonight. Thank you for your holiness. And thank you for your word. Thank you for folks. Thank you for your people that love your word enough to be here on a Sunday night and study. It may you bless them and bless those that are at home that have listened as well. And I just pray that you'd use us to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.